2: And
3: a very good Monday morning to you as we welcome you along. After it was a lovely weekend weather-wise, and I'm currently looking out at some gorgeous, clear blue skies and long May that continue, as they're saying. The temperatures down a little bit, but it's once it's dry and fine. And I think there was a tendency at the weekend to sort of lifted everybody's mood because if you think back to when we were right in the middle of lockdown, we had that gorgeous spell of good weather and the amount of people that commented on the fact that it was easier to get through lockdown when we had nice weather and then we sort of returned to normality with our weather and the rain returned. So it would be great if we got some more nice uh, weather, particularly now that we're officially into summer season and holiday season. And certainly there was a lot of reports across the weekend of uh, a lot of Crowded beaches, even though when I say crowded beaches, a lot of people on the beaches, but certainly anyone I was talking to were saying that people were well spaced out, everybody appeared to be social distancing. I and mean, we've got some gorgeous, particularly down in West Cork and in East Cork, we've got some really gorgeous, long, wide beaches. Whereas, even if we get a lot of people going there, everyone is able to be sensible and space yourself out from the nearest family to you and keep up the social distancing and all of that. Though I'm assuming getting parking spaces at a lot of our beaches was probably a little bit difficult over the weekend. But we are being told to staycation and a lot of people are doing that, are staying uh, and having their holidays here in Ireland. So we are going to see, particularly if this fine weather continues, we are going to see the volumes of people heading to the beaches increasing. Is that going to make some people nervous? It probably will. But as I keep saying to people, If you go somewhere and it's very crowded and you think it's going to be impossible for social distancing, then just turn around. And go somewhere else, go home or ideally find somewhere else that's quieter where you can feel comfortable because you're going to have people who medically will be quite vulnerable and will need to always keep away from people, never get into a crowded situation. So there is a kind of individual responsibility on all of us to protect ourselves and to protect our family members. But I think, you know, we can still do the visits to the beach. We can still do the staycationing bit, but we all have to be sensible. But I'm already seeing a text in from Anne. saying, uh, what is the COVID cases in Cork? What are the actual numbers? Local people in West Cork, says Anne, are getting annoyed and fearful about the high numbers of holidaymakers in West Cork. Social distancing has gone out the window, according to Anne. Parts of West Cork have had no reported cases of COVID-19 and they don't want them now. I heard at the weekend, for example, says Anne, that there's a number of COVID cases in holiday homes in West Cork. Will holiday makers respect locals and uh, cop on? Uh, You know, I think there's a great argument for giving us as much information as we can. And as they can, Neffert, for example, and the, the the government, let us know when there are outbreaks in a particular area. But for whatever reason, they'll always just say in the south, there was so many cases or in the east. And the minute we hear in the east, there were so many cases, we'll straight away say, well, should they're all in Dublin for sure. But I saw there is a guy, I don't have his name on front of me, that I follow on um. D. W. Higgins, I've just spotted his name. Uh, I follow him on uh, Twitter and his Twitter handle is at HigginsDavidW. And I don't know where he gets the inf- where he sources his information from, but he always seems to have the daily breakdown of COVID-19 cases in Ireland by county. And the latest one that I spotted over the weekend would have been on the 15th, which was last Thursday, wasn't it? Last Thursday, Friday, the back end of last week, when the we hit a figure of 34 cases and it was one of the highest figures that we had had in a number of weeks because we were getting used to single digits of the numbers of people testing positive and everybody was saying it's great we're getting this, we're getting a handle on it. Then it's slowly been going up into the mid-teens, then it's gone up into the 20s and then there was this one late last week where it was 34 cases. But looking at the breakdown of the 34 cases, 25 of them were in Dublin. And then there was one in a number of places, including here in Cork. There was one in Carlo, Cavan, Cork, Kildare, Leitrim, Louth, Offaly, Westmeath and Wicklow. But the that 25 of the 34 cases were in Dublin, but there was only one in Cork. So I don't know. There's lots of rumours. You'll hear lots of rumours like that, that there's a number of cases. I'm not saying that there isn't a number of cases in holiday homes in uh, West Cork, but I don't know if they're reflected in the figures. But I wonder if they came out every day and when they when they come and say, for example, uh, say they come out today and say there was 15 cases tested positive in the last 24 hours, would people prefer... To have that much detail. Now I'm not saying that they they pinpoint when they say that there's one in Cork that they'll say it's in West Cork, it's in East Cork, it's in the city, it's in uh, North Cork. But just that we would know Well, there's one additional case in the county of uh, Cork. Would people prefer if we got that much information? Are, you, are they right to do it the way they're doing it, where they just announced on that particular day there's 34 cases, but they don't give the breakdown? I'd be interested in how people uh, feel about, about that. But there's a lot of rumours will do the rounds that there is COVID-19 in such and such uh, an area. But I think if people knew, for example, that a town in West Cork had a cluster of cases is that the kind of information we need to know so that people then can say, well, let's for a 14 week period keep away from that area but then will business people in that town say, well, that's unfair on us, nobody will come, you know, our businesses might, might as well close for the 14 uh, days. You know, how do we balance it? Because I know from a government point of view, there's the whole balance on keeping people safe and then there's the balance of trying to open up the economy and get people back to uh, work. So your, your thoughts welcomed on that but particularly people in the West Cork area get Getting very nervous now because there is the big push towards staycationing. And if you want to staycation, who wouldn't want to staycation in a place like West Cork? You know, it's such a beautiful part of the country. And are they going to end up getting people from all over Ireland descending on West Cork? And is there a danger that some of them will bring COVID-19 with them? And whatever about Irish people deciding to travel, there's this huge nervousness about people from other countries coming into Ireland, you look at America I mean I was watching CNN at the weekend and it's just it's incredible to watch uh, CNN and what's happening in the States and every single day that I switch on a news report from CNN they've broken another record from the previous day on the number of new cases testing positive in the United States and various states in the United States day on day breaking records either for the number of people dying from COVID-19 or the number of new cases of, of of COVID nineteen, the number of people testing positive, so people get very nervous and very anxious when they hear of any Americans deciding to jump on a plane and uh, come to Ireland. And we've we're constantly having that argument here on the program, hearing from people that the government need to you know, shut down the ports, shut down the airports or allow cargo in and out of the country but don't allow visitors into the country and there's a whole thing about self-isolating and quarantine and who's doing it and who's not doing it and people getting off a plane and saying where they're going to be staying and then if they do manage to get a phone call asking are they there, they either gave the wrong telephone number, they didn't answer the phone Um, and it's just people saying that that's not, it's a system that certainly doesn't seem to be working and of course Today was to be the day that we would find out what European countries are going to be included on this famous green list that they're talking, that the government have been talking about for some weeks now. The green list is going to be the countries where you will not need to self-isolate when you return back into this country if you decide to go on holidays to one of these countries. But it's also the number, the number, People coming from the green list can come to Ireland and won't have to abide by any of the regulations to do with, with self-isolating. They will be allowed to you know, come here on holidays and go off and, and have a two week break, whatever they decide to do. So today was the day that we were expecting to hear what countries were going to make the list. Now, it has been uh, deferred for at least another uh, 24 hours, but they're going to announce a green list. But at the same time, they're going to tell us that they're still warning against non-essential foreign travel. The government now are being accused of causing confusion, that they're giving out mixed messages about COVID-19 and about the restrictions on international travel. The government's green list of countries and how they're selecting countries that are going to go on it, they will rate countries who have coronavirus cases similar or lower than we have here in in Ireland. People travelling from those countries will not be required to quarantine for 14 days upon arriving in Ireland. Now, if you decide to go to one of the countries on your holiday, because you won't have to do the 14 days quarantine, I need to remind you and let you know that Insurance Ireland are advising anyone planning on booking a holiday to a green list country to make sure they check with their insurer first to see if they will be covered if anything goes wrong on the holiday. In Insurance Ireland are saying a green list country does not equate to a relaxation of the non-essential travel policy. Government's advice still remains that only essential travel should be uh, undertaken. So, you know, I don't know. I certainly, personally for me, I would not be comfortable travelling anywhere out of Ireland unless I had up-to-date travel insurance and I feel a lot of people are probably feeling uh, the very same way. I mean, would you travel without um, uh, travel insurance? I know the Irish Travel Agents Association who I do feel really, really sorry for. Pat Dawson, their chief executive said that the list when it does get announced tomorrow, will be meaningless as he reckons uh, people won't travel without valid travel insurance. Now, the latest figures from the European Centre of Disease Prevention and Control in this country, it shows that there are 11 countries across Europe that currently have lower rates of COVID-19 than we have here in this country. At the moment, now our numbers are going up ever so slightly, but they are going up. At the moment, we are at 4.9 people per 100,000 in Ireland so that's the figure that they're going to benchmark everything against so when the announcement is made tomorrow what are the countries that are expected to be honest? There's 11 in total. Italy. And I wouldn't have thought Italy was going to be honest, but Italy, of course, have done so well. They had, I mean, God, when we think back at the start of this pandemic and we all looked at Italy and thought, would we ever be able to ever go on holidays to Italy again? But they have managed to get the pandemic, thankfully, under control. Now it's come at a huge, huge cost to the Italian people. So Italy is expected to be on the, on the list. So is Greece, Slovakia, Cyprus, Latvia, Lithuania, Norway, Estonia, Hungary, Finland and uh, Malta. Now many of those countries might not stand out as being ID you know popular tourist destinations, but there certainly will be a lot of people living in this country from Latvia and Lithuania and Estonia who perhaps might decide to go home on a holiday or might decide to have family members travel over here uh, instead. Holiday destinations in there. Certainly Italy is very popular as a holiday destination as is Greece and as is uh, Malta. Now, should the green list include countries with slightly higher rates than us, you know, if they decide we're at 4.9, they might include countries that have five people per 100,000, say they might just go a little bit above where we are at the moment, then that would mean that Germany, the Netherlands and Denmark would also make the list. Government sources last night say the decision on the green list still being finalised, it will literally go down to uh, the wire. But I have to say there was a number of Government ministers over the weekend, certainly taken to the national airwaves and, and giving sort of their views on it. Dara Kileery and uh, Michael McGrath strongly said at the weekend that the official advice, even when they give the green list, will be to own not to travel for non-essential purposes. And our public health expert, Gabriel Scally, said he was the first to come out and say, look, this is all really, really confusing. He says, I can understand that there's pressure from the airline industry, there's pressure from international tourist industries to open things up in this country but Professor Gabriel Scali said I would prefer to take the safe road that keeps the virus at bay and keeps it out of this uh, country. Uh, And I think think a lot of people are going to agree with Professor Scali on on that, because I know whenever we mention international travel, we get inundated with people saying just close the airports. I mean, literally people have gone that far as to say, and I know the argument you can't close the airports because we need to have cargo uh, and, and essential services need to come in and out of the country. We are an Ireland. We can't close ourselves off completely. But certainly, I think if you were to do a poll and ask people, should we close off the country to all tourists, I think you would get a resounding yes from the majority of people. And already this, already I can see on WhatsApp people saying, why? Everyone was expecting the countries to be announced today. Why why, why, why is there yet another delay? Well, the reason it's been deferred for 24 hours is because our own Taoiseach, Mihol Martin, is out of the country and he's not expected to return from the EU summit on Brussels until this evening. He was due to come back yesterday, but of course we know that, that those discussions and negotiations are still going Going on, So he's expected back this evening. So that means they'll have a meeting tomorrow and then the decision will be made. And I know on Friday when we mentioned that Michel Martin was going to Brussels for the EU summit, people were saying, will he have to self-isolate? Will he have to isolate for two weeks when he comes home? Well, it seems to me, Hall Martin will not have to undergo any sort of quarantine upon arrival at uh, Dublin Airport because government ministers are exempt from the rule. He will be required, though, to take a COVID nineteen test when arriving uh, back in Ireland on his uh, return, and I'm assuming he will willingly uh, do that test. But he will not need to uh, self quarantine. So there's still a lot of talk about international uh, travel and about people going on holidays. But I have to say, and I was thinking about this over the weekend because there was so much talk about who was going to make the green list, who wasn't going to make uh, the green list. And I know there will be a lot of people very disappointed that the United Kingdom isn't making the green list because we have you know, there's very few of us as families don't have loved ones living in the United Kingdom. And people are desperate to see loved ones. And this would be the time of the year that people would go visit their relatives in England or people from England would come over here on their holidays. So I think a lot of people will be very disappointed that the United Kingdom not going to be certainly on the list tomorrow. And that list will change every two weeks. So whether later on in the summer, people from the United Kingdom will be able to travel here, only time will tell. But certainly is it going to make the list uh, tomorrow tomorrow for sure but it got me thinking I don't know of certainly anyone I know don't have any family member or any friend of mine who is planning a trip overseas this summer I mean everyone that I've been talking to uh, all had some kind of travel arrangements and they've cancelled uh, their holiday and people are certainly not saying that they will be flying anywhere during 2020 maybe next year and even next year there's a question mark with some people saying still don't know Uh, I mean certainly I've sort of taken the decision uh, as a family, we're sort of saying until there's a vaccine, I don't think we will be looking at doing any international uh, travel, but that's just a personal thing uh, for us. But I'm just wondering with all of this talk about this green list, you know, are people Going to go away on holidays. Are there people listening? And I'd love to hear from you if you are. Or do you know of people who have said yes once the green list is announced tomorrow? And if Italy, Greece, or Malta, Malta is a lovely holiday destination. I went many, many years ago. One of my first foreign holidays was to Malta. I think that's why it's, I've always had a soft spot uh, for it. So it is a lovely tourist destination. But will people seriously consider booking a holiday when this green list is announced uh, tomorrow? I'd uh, welcome your thoughts on that. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three, 103 and just talking of holidays that were planned I was to go away at Easter which was in April and obviously travel plans were cancelled because the flights were cancelled and I got back end of last week on Friday got an email from Aer Lingus to say I'm finally getting my refund so it's taken about three months for a full I opted for a full refund they initially wanted me to book new dates but said no because I don't know when I'm going to be able to travel uh, again and then they were pushing towards the voucher system and I said no I'll take the refund uh, please so I got the full refund along with the baggage and the taxes and everything else that uh, I paid for but it has taken three months so just to let people know because I know there was others who were in the same situation as me and I promised I'd let people know when the refund so I got my email to say from Erlingus so thank you to Erlingus uh, for that even if it was three months late 18.50 John Paul is off for the week And uh, let's hope he gets some nice sunshine. He certainly is a good start to it uh, today for sure. So that means Bernie and Sadie are in for the week, taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. A lot of people not happy about the notion of this green list being published tomorrow. Uh, One texter says, Patricia, there should be no green list there should be no flights in and out of Ireland. Simple as that. We will never get rid of COVID-19 if we keep our borders open. And another text, Mary says by WhatsApp, thank you Mary, says if they're, if they're not on our green list, then we shouldn't be on theirs either, says Mary. And it's interesting when people are giving out about Americans coming into this country and I don't know what the actual number of Americans are coming into this country, even though there are flights in and out of America uh, every day. But I mean, I've heard rumours of some of the flights only might have had had 10 or 15 people on it but you know people will say one American coming from an area there's a lot of COVID-19 is one American uh, too many Uh, But it's interesting if you or I decide to go to the States, they're not allowing anybody in from Europe and yet they can come the other way instead. I always thought there was a bit of an irony uh, attached to that. Thank you for that, Mary. And just one final text. I work in a nursing home. We have to get COVID-19 tested once uh, a week. We've been doing it for the last month. Is it the same in every nursing home? Yes, it is. And from what I can gather, what happens is if one of the staff members then test positive for COVID-19, then everybody, all of the residents then get uh, tested but that got introduced it probably was about a month ago uh, it is once a week that all of the workers in nursing homes are tested and that's right across all the nursing homes all over the country Cork today on C103
0: Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333
3: 103 Now public health experts continue to tell us that if you have any symptoms of the coronavirus then we must go forward for testing worryingly a number of GPs are saying that people with symptoms are refused to get tested, one of those doctors is Dr. Nick Flynn of mycorkgp.ie ie, who joins me. Good morning to you, Nick.
4: Good morning, Patricia.
3: You're you're welcome to the program. Why do you believe some people are reluctant to go forward for testing?
4: Yeah, it's very interesting, Patricia. Because if if we think back, you know, just twelve, fifteen weeks ago, uh, when it was difficult to access a test, uh, people were really, you know, clambering down the door and. To, to try and get tested if they had any symptoms. Um, and, and now we're kind of seeing the other uh, side of that where uh, a couple of things are happening. One, we're seeing patients who have respiratory symptoms for a number of days before they contact us, uh, and clearly that that's the worry. Uh, so just to remind people again, if you have any new respiratory symptoms, cough, fever, shortness of breath, uh, and now to include losses, uh, sense of taste or sense of smell, Please contact your GP as soon as those symptoms uh, start, and your GP can assess you and, and refer you for testing if needed. Because if people are are self managing these illnesses at home, if it does turn out that they have had COVID nineteen, they will have been infectious for a number of days, and they will put public health at risk, and and even in their own within their own household, put their household contacts at risk of COVID nineteen. So. Any respiratory symptom, the advice remains please contact your GP in early course, please.
3: And when up, you say contact up. your GP, you mean phone your GP, don't turn up to the practice?
4: That's correct, for respiratory symptoms, yeah. We, we will try the, the call over the phone. If, of course, if patients need to be seen, that can be arranged uh, in the city, it can be arranged in the, the, the there's still a respiratory assessment hub. Um, but equally, uh, other patients, if the symptoms demands are or, or, or suggest that they should have physically physical review, that can be arranged. But very often, these are are milder symptoms, and that's why patients have started to, to self manage at home more often. Um, and in years past, we would have, that's what we would have recommended: that you know, self management is very important uh, part of any illness, uh, especially self limiting illnesses. But now, when COVID nineteen is on the pitch, we really need to be testing these people uh, to make sure that we are not dealing with uh, new cases of COVID-19.
3: And so, are, are you are you sending more people forward now for testing?
4: Yes, compared to uh, a couple of weeks ago, we are. Uh, if you were to just take this Saturday, for example, uh, I worked a four-hour shift on South Doc. Uh, and I uh, consulted with 18 uh, patients, uh, four of whom I, I referred for testing. So if you go back two weeks, i probably didn't refer four patients in a whole week. So what we're seeing as lockdown has been eased and people are having more social and other interactions is that all the viruses are, are, are transmitting person to person. It was a very interesting phenomenon during lockdown and to see how we, we were seeing less of the vomiting bugs, less of the ear infections, throat infections and other infections that we normally would have seen during springtime, that that the the lockdown and the physical distance that we're all practising, it meant that those bugs weren't transmitting person to person either. Now that lockdown has eased, as well as, of course, COVID-19 being a risk of spreading, the other bugs are also spreading. So it it is important that that people present to us. And and, and we're seeing two two types of phenomenon. One, there's a reluctance among some people to submit themselves for testing. I think that basically comes down to their own healthcare care belief that they, for some reason, believe that this is their normal emphysema or this is their, you know, I get a sore throat twice a year kind of doctor and this is my normal sore throat. But, of course, we can't know that for sure. So it is important that we, in the appropriate situation, refer people for testing. And if you listen to Roland Glynn, who is the acting chief medical officer, over the last week, he has raised some concerns that asymptomatic contacts of known cases have not turned up for testing. And so this is all slightly worrying that the enthusiasm for for maintaining the I suppose the measures we need to maintain and the effort we need to make to ensure that COVID nineteen remains suppressed in the community, that these measures we really, really need to maintain our enthusiasm for these measures or we will slowly see a rise in numbers. We've we've had ten cases in Cork in the last week. The R number, the reproductive number, is now uh, said the over one maybe 1.5 maybe more but if it was 1.5 what it means is that those 10 cases will lead to 15 cases and if that doesn't change those 15 cases will lead to 22 cases so that, and that's the way this virus works so we do need to take our own personal responsibility maintain our physical and social distancing our hand washing our cough etiquette mask wearing we've discussed before now very important you know uh, and most importantly then anybody who gets any of these upper respiratory symptoms that they immediately self-isolate and contact their GP.
3: Are some people afraid to go forward for testing because if they've been out of work and they've just gone back to work, that they don't want to be out of work again?
4: It's definitely an issue, Patricia. Uh, you know, people ha- have been off work for quite a while. Um, however, the, 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 I suppose if you extend that argument, if they go to work with symptoms, you know, and if they infect other work colleagues, and and more people are out, it might actually put their job at risk because the business could be at risk. So very difficult decisions, and we accept that. But really, the, the I suppose the the most difficult decision would be if we have to look at reversing phases and going backwards rather than going forwards.
2: Yeah,
3: somebody's saying maybe people aren't in fina- in a financial position to acknowledge COVID symptoms, which mortgage repayments, uh, etc. Uh, could you ask Dr Nick uh, Flynn, what does he think of the rules regarding GAA and players back playing?
4: Uh, so, again, I think everything we need to do needs to be coached in, in risk reduction. Um, outdoor activities really are... Are, are less of a risk than, than than indoors, so I think you're 20 times less likely to contract COVID-19 outdoors than indoors. Um,
0: the I suppose when you look at the the, the game itself, okay, there, there
4: is some contact, uh, but I think it's probably relatively lower risk of trans- transmitting uh, player to player on a on a big field with 30 players on on, on the pitch. I, I do think that's what we're saying the society. Uh, as a responsible member of society, we need, we need to report our symptoms, maintain our physical distancing, uh, and hand washing, and all those measures. I also think that we need to learn to live with this virus. We're not going to have a vaccine for probably 12 months, uh, and it's not guaranteed that we will have it then. Uh, the vaccine, if it's uh, effective, will will be the, the ultimate answer. Uh, but until then, we, we do need to find ways of society re-emerging From the lockdown safely. Um, We don't want large crowds of people uh, watching GAA games. The crowds do need to be physically distanced. But I do think as a society, we do need to decide that there's some things which are good for the mental health of
3: society. Yeah, we have to learn to live
4: with
5: it.
3: Yeah, and and learning to live with it, I mean, are things like the mandatory wearing of masks in enclosed spaces. That will make a difference.
4: Yes, absolutely. And, and look, we, we've known that for quite a while, and it's, it's very intuitive. This virus spreads through respiratory droplets that, and aerosols that come from our nose and our mouth. So if you've cut that supply off at source by wearing a face covering, you're going to limit the spread of this disease. And then washing hands will be an additional measure, physical distancing being maintained, an additional measure. You know, so But but, but the mask wearing of masks absolutely has to become the norm we have to get used to it. it in our own practice we've now all been wearing masks i'd say for 12 weeks of course at the start it was difficult for people but even those at the start who felt that they weren't going to be able to get used to it and now are quite used to it so it is something that we can get used to it doesn't limit the amount of oxygen that goes into our lungs gets in, and gets into our our blood of course it can feel a little bit claustrophobic at the start but there are ways and and techniques uh, for the masks or the face covering to be worn that will allow you to get used to that and, and, and encourage everybody. You know, even wearing your face covering at home for a few hours, get used to
2: day, it. Yeah. So, yeah, so
4: that you're used to it. You yeah. oh,
3: absolutely. Were you pleased with the decision, or was it the right decision not to open the pubs today?
4: Um, yeah, so that's a very difficult one because we 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 have, we have the COVID house parties. Uh, with alcohol bought in off licences and, and meanwhile we, we, we can't open the pubs I, I, I think that on balance it probably was it's, it's a very very difficult decision very difficult for publicans uh, you know I, I think when they were looking forward I think the bank holiday weekend in August was a big was a big risk for, for, for a public health point of view um, and, and so very difficult decision but I think on balance that probably was the was the right decision
3: Which is better ponders a listener a mask or a visor
4: or a mask 11 times out of 10 so a visor is designed to prevent uh, a splash injury or or, or from the or for the wearer so basically visors and goggles protect the wearer from splashes principally to their eyes but they don't do a whole lot for preventing the virus coming from the nose and the mouth and um, so so i mean i think the when you hear the public health, health advice for for indoor spaces for shops, for public transport, you know, it's all talking about masks, and it's not talking about visors. I think visors are one of those things that they look good, um, but they don't limit the spread of the virus from the source, which is the nose and the mouth. Especially if you've got, uh, you know, in a restaurant, um, and you've got people sitting down, and you've got uh, you know a waiter or a waitress standing at the table, the, the, the direction of flow of, of, of the droplets from their mouth is, is downwards towards the client. I really think the visors don't have a.
3: Huge role to play in that regard. Okay, there's been a lot of, of talk over the last few days, and it continues today about this the green list of uh, countries, and they're expecting tomorrow, finally, the government will make the announcement, and about 11 European countries will be on uh, the list. Yet the government are still warning against non essential foreign travel. Are we getting mixed messages? Is it all a bit confusing?
4: Yes, I, I think it's, it's unfortunate, but I, I think it is confusing. I think the public are quite rightly confused. So I think the first thing is that we should never have called it a green list. Like, at the traffic lights green is for go. So it should not be called a green list when the advice still is that these countries should still only be travelled for non-essential travel. So I think it should be called an amber list. Uh, so you can, so you, the only difference for these countries in your decision to travel is that you, if you have to make an essential journey, that when you return home your quarantine period will be for two days, not for two weeks. So you're, you're Period of you now what's called restricted movements. It will be for two days, and that's for two weeks. So I think that the, the first confusing uh, message is in the nomenclature, the naming of the uh, of the countries. I think they should be called Amber Countries and not Green. Uh, I also think that it's like it's a bit of a, a, a mess. To be honest, it's, you know, I mean, it's, let's let's say pretend that Belgium is a is a green country for an air corridor, yeah. and let's pretend that Luxembourg, Netherlands, Germany, and France are not. So people are going to drive from France to yeah, Belgium, man. Luxembourg to Belgium, and, and fly from Zaventem to Dublin, and uh, so it doesn't make sense. We need to start testing at the airport. That's what we need to do, you know. And and that could be done even on a voluntary basis. There's nothing that that, that travellers could have the opportunity to self fund or to pay themselves for a test at the airport, and a neg- and an undetected test with an asymptomatic traveller should allow them irrespective in my opinion of their destination to uh, limit their quarantine to, to 48 hours the same rules as, as we have for ourselves. I, I don't think creating uh, these green uh, air corridors is going to be helpful because I think human nature will figure out a way of, of working on it. Testing is the way to go in the absence of testing maintain the two week uh, quarantine rule.
3: Would you consider getting on a plane and going on holidays?
4: No, I, I, well, I think that's a good question. I right? know I wouldn't, is the honest answer, but, but I do, I would acknowledge that all trips aren't equal. So, all destinations aren't equal, all travelers aren't equal, and all activities when you get to your destination aren't equal. So, <clears throat> like, clearly, somebody who is immunocompromised or somebody who is in an at-risk group should not travel. You know, maybe younger people might regard themselves as safe to travel. Okay, that's something that we have to accept. Travel isn't banned right it's, it's an advice not to travel so 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 that's the first thing then the second thing then you look at is the destination some countries are, are experiencing a spike uh i i, I spoke with uh, a colleague of mine who used to work with us uh who now works in uh, barcelona and she told me barcelona is literally a step or two away from a full lockdown so that as a destination barcelona would be far more uh i suppose dangerous than safe to, to Maybe Greece you know so destinations are are clearly not equal but also what you do when you get to your destination isn't equal so trips can broadly be broken down into three different groups you've got uh, you've got trips that visit friends and relations you've got uh, business trips and you've got tourist trips for outbound tourism I think the visiting friends and relations is clearly the most dangerous uh, uh type of trip because you're you're by definition staying in somebody else's house. Uh, it's normally not uh, designed to take two or four extra people. So there's going to be more crowding within the house. Uh, and so far more difficult to maintain your physical distance uh, in that regard. Uh, probably business trips uh, and tourist trips then depends on your activities, you know. So if you are going camping in the outdoors, probably relatively safer than if you were staying in a hotel or a bnb and b for your more, more close quarters. And, and of course, in, in time, we're going to be looking at people who may want to travel for sports events and music events. Again, they would be very, very uh, risky from the point of view of, of contracting COVID-19. <laughs> so, until there is, is a clear advice, on, or until there is, uh, I, I suppose, an actual ban on, on foreign travel, we have to accept that people will do it. And I think it's about enabling that to be done safely, because... If we don't do that, if we don't give them advice on how to how take to a safe trip, how to, how, how to be safe when they're abroad and giving them the option or the opportunity to be tested at the airport, I think that we're going to run into
3: trouble. OK, one final question from Lyndon Douglas. Does Dr Nick believe the schools will fully reopen in September?
4: That's a very good question and very interesting. So there, there was a, uh, a study at the weekend that uh, basically stated that in children under 10, uh, the risk of transmission, it seems to be less. It's not zero, so there's still some risk. But that in children over ten, now children over ten, right? That's from fifth class, sixth class, right through secondary school and 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 the start of college. So for children over ten, the risk of transmission is the same as for adults. Whoa. So I think so. I think that schools have a real challenge. Um, I they have to go back. Of course, like education is so important for the social and, and other development of children, very important for the nation that we, that, 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 the kids, that our kids are well-educated and, and well-rounded socially and from an education point of view. But I think there's a real challenge there now that that, that, that information is out there, that it's not a blanket that all children are less risk uh, so that the older children have the same risk of transmission. Okay. Uh, so that's some, some some significant problems there.
3: All right. I appreciate you're a busy man and we really appreciate you when you join us on the programme, Nick. Thank you for that and look after thank yourself. You Thanks for joining Cheers. us. Cheers. Bye-bye. That Bye-bye. is uh, Dr Nick uh, Flynn, a senior partner at mycorkgp.ie. 1850 333 103. Sadie and Bernie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Listen says Hi Patricia. Do children need Need to wear face coverings in shops as well. Uh, we're going to be discussing that actually later in, in, in this hour on the programme with them, um, RG Dash, as to who's going to police the mandatory wearing of uh, face masks. And no, children under the age of 11 um, were uh, exempt. It's anybody o- over the age of 11, but children under the age of 11, no, will not have to uh, wear face masks. As I say, we will be doing more about that particular topic uh, in this hour on the programme. But back in April, during lockdown, older people over the age of 65 were being urged to apply for a one-off hardship grant that had been set up by the Irish Red Cross and Age Action. Now, many of our listeners have since contacted us disappointed that they didn't receive any funding under the scheme. Sinn Féin told Deputy Thomas Gould is also disappointed that so many didn't receive money and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning. Uh, and, and you are welcome. Firstly, do you know how many people nationwide actually applied for this one-off hardship grant? Yes, over 21,000
6: people applied for the grant and unfortunately only 453 of them got uh, a, a grant of some form. Now, they paid out Ajax in Ireland and the Red Cross, who I think oh, this, this was a brilliant initiative now, Patricia, because a lot of older people wouldn't have had mobile phones where you could have FaceTime people or mobile or an iPad where they could see their family. So, this initiative, and also was specifically for people who were under financial pressure um, a lot of people living alone, a lot of people on the state pension, a lot of people who wouldn't have extra money. Um, and this grant was specifically aimed at over sixty fives. To me, outside of the extension of the uh, the fuel allowance, this was the only thing specifically aimed at all the people to help them through the COVID. And I'd written to the government at the time, looking for them to support the Air Action and the Irish Red Cross. They actually gave a commitment that they would, and they actually wrote the, the Air Action and the Red Cross, but they've never. Uh, They never actually gave any money and I still think at this stage that they should uh, make an allocation of funds because the COVID-19 is not going away. A lot of older people are still nervous and they're still concerned and a bit of technology might help them to kind of talk with their family and friends.
3: So only 453 people out of uh, 21,000 because he got way oversubscribed very quickly, didn't it? Yes,
6: well, you see, I suppose a lot of family and friends would have applied for for all the people, and the deadline date was supposed to be the end of August, but they actually closed it after a week, such was the uptake of people interested in this grant, because I I think like even my own father, he would had one of these old flip up phones. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of over sixty fives would have kind of they wouldn't have modern technology, they'd have mobiles, but a lot of them would be kind of the old-fashioned kind of more practical ones where, where this grant was aimed, especially for people who are isolated, who aren't living close to family and friends. This was This is going to be a great initiative,
3: you know. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't just for technology because I remember one woman contacted us and she was saying her elderly parents, uh, they they needed to buy just a small little freezer because the plan was that she and other family members were going to start batch cooking dinners because, you know, this elderly couple were cocooning. Uh, And the idea would be that they would be able to put the dinners into the freezer so this elderly couple would always have a hot dinner that they'd be able to take out and and, and heat up. And I was saying, yeah, that's exactly the type of item that could be Done under the hardship fund. Unfortunately, they weren't as successful, uh, and there was many other people like what you were saying. with a lot of our listeners, who went out and sons and daughters bought them an iPhone or you know some kind of a a, a smart phone, so that they would be able to communicate with them in the hope that they would get the the money back. So only four hundred and fifty three, so it's a, a, a tiny fraction of the twenty one thousand. How much in total did they give out? What 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 was that worth from a monetary point of view? Or do you have they, those figures?
6: Yes, I do. They gave out a hundred and three total
3: and
6: where percent, did I they mean.
3: where did they get that money from
6: that was actually donations from different organizations to them uh to the red cross and to age action like the likes of um, i think pfizer uh paypal Deloitte, tesco's uh healthcare companies and uh, like there's a lot of people like, EO Jackson would be seen and the Red Cross as really reputable charities who do great work. So, you would have big organisations who would donate to them. But the thing here, Patricia, like, was, a couple of million euros would have made a huge difference to over 65s. And it would have, like, the point you made about the the freezer, Mm. I spoke to another two people who wanted to get proper fridges because they had really old fridges, they couldn't store much food in them. And, you see, a lot of people were only shopping once a week or
3: yeah, once a four yeah. they, well, these, we we. I mean, because I remember doing interviews about this, encouraging people. We we got so many people to apply and we were encouraging them to apply. And it was the people who were cocooning. These were the people who were locked into their homes. They weren't even going out for walks. That's right. That's right. And some
6: people, like, I know the Meals and Wheels have done great walk right across the city and county, but... Some people were spending extra money on food because they weren't because they weren't going to the shop as often. They weren't getting they weren't cooking as normal, and they were buying ready meals. They were buying they were buying different types of food that they would normally get because they were they were saying they didn't want to be going to the shop, so they were stockpiling. And uh, because of that, then people had, and especially when the payments then went every two weeks a lot of people found it really hard to manage the money. When, when you're on the state of pension, like, things are so tight trying to pay all the bills. Like, a lot of people were running up. Like, even things like uh, Skydo or Netflix or things like that for people who, like, for who who are cocooning to give them something to do while they were at home. Mm. And even talking to people, no, I, know I know people have got to go for walks, which is great, but a lot of people are spending less time out and about now than they did before the pandemic. And I'm still very concerned, especially for those living alone, especially for those isolated, that we need to do something to work with all the people to make sure, because there's going to be a huge issue with mental health and isolation when we come out of this. And I think that's what we need to be working on right
4: now.
3: Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the payments for all the majority of social welfare went to to weekly. Only a couple of weeks ago we had somebody wondering when is it going back to a weekly payment because not everybody's happy about getting paid every fortnight. Now the last time we checked in with the department they couldn't give us a date. Do you know if there's any plans to revert back to weekly payments?
6: Unfortunately at the moment I don't and I can't see that happening on the short term because to be concern is does worry. To be concerned is about is there going to be a second wave? Okay. So I think I think what's going to happen is the the government are going to say, listen, we'll just see how things pan out over the summer. And in relation to talk of a second wave, what I'm saying to people is common sense is the way to go. Just wash your hands, wear your mask, and use your common sense. Like I was on the train last week from Dublin, where you see there was one guy who refused to wear a mask. I actually had extra masks in my uh, in my bag. I was coming home from the dial, and I I gave them to the, the 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 guy walking on the train. I said, "Listen, if anyone if he short the mask, oh, you've extra masks. I haven't been opened or touch. They were in individual packets." And uh, he offered them to this chap, and he would. I think there was two hundred near people on the train that was day. Was he
3: the guy who got taken off in Tharles? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We
6: there, did There was two hundred near people on the train that day and two hundred seven, when we are masked.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and people uh, people are getting used to it, and people and we're all going to have to get used to it now because it's going to be mandatory inside in, in supermarkets. And you can already see a notice at the weekend. There is a steady increase. People are now starting to wear the masks, but mask wearing is going to be with us for quite some time.
6: Yes, and I, I, I think people need to get their head around that. Yeah, and especially for like. W- w- thing, Patricia, as you see all the people are leading the way, like, through this whole pandemic, uh, they've, they took the self-isolation, the, 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 the cocooning, the wearing masks, and the one thing that we could have done to help them, and we can still do to help them, and I'll actually be raising this in the oil again this week, hopefully, the, the Minister will take time to listen to me, and, like, I think that Age Action and the Red Cross are brilliant groups that need to be supported. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of your listeners, especially those in the more rural areas, this was specifically to help them and the over 65. And I think like, people are really disappointed that the one thing that was there for them, that the, the government didn't support
3: it. Yeah. Oh listen, the amount of texts and calls we got in when people realised the fund was gone and that they hadn't been successful people were, were, were really upset and just bitterly disappointed OK listen Thomas, we leave it there thank you for that very and awesome, uh, thank thanks you. for joining us uh, bye bye, that is uh, Sinn Féin Doll Deputy uh, Thomas Gould just to wrap up that story because we had done so much on that that hardship fund for the Red Cross and Age Action and it wasn't the fault and I think nobody would have been blaming the Irish Red Cross, or Age Action they had a very, very limited amount of money €103,000 was the total of what they had, which was fundraised money and money was donated uh, to them. They could never have predicted that over 21,000 people were going to apply, but just 453. I don't know what the breakdown uh, for us here in Cork, how many people in in Cork. We assume some people from Cork did manage uh, to get some of the funding, but it was a tiny fraction. Uh, The majority of those that applied for that hardship fund were left uh, disappointed. By the way, and I mentioned this at the top of the hour when I started uh, the programme, It was I was so saddened at the weekend to see that we've lost another one of our cervical Czech uh, heroes. And this was when I heard yesterday of the death of Ruth Morrissey, who battled uh, cervical cancer, and her husband, Paul, uh, speaking about his, um, his 39-year-old uh, wife and mother, mother of one little nine-year-old little girl, passed away yesterday uh, morning her husband Paul and her other family members were by her side. She died in the care of uh, staff at Milford Hospice. Uh, he issued a statement through his solicitor Keener Carroll, and uh, he was uh, critical of the broken promise of the Taoiseach who said no other woman impacted by the survival check scandal would have to go to court and of course that didn't happen uh, for poor Ruth he said despite the magnitude of the harm caused to her by avoidable errors. He said his wife was used as a legal test case through the final years and months of, of her lives. I think the last time we saw her was coming out of the fork courts was, was just last year, was just in uh, 2019. So she uh, sadly passed away uh, yesterday and her husband Paul said that neither the HSE nor the state had ever apologised to her. Isn't that awful? Never ever apologised and he said now it is just too late and I saw the fellow Survival so Check uh, campaigner uh, tweeting with great sadness Vicky Phelan was tweeting yesterday with great sadness about the death of Ruth and she said Ruth was one of the strongest women uh, w- women I know and also one of the most positive I never once saw her without a smile on her face and I saw her when she was very ill and, and I know watching it on the news last night there was various clips of her and you know dreadful to think he was a woman who was battling cervical cancer and all because of mistakes that have been made in the screening process. And all of the photographs that we saw on her on the news there was various different photographs uh, taken of her over the last number of years and it was all coming in and out of court. It was just shocking, shocking. Uh, so may she rest in peace that's uh, Ruth Morrissey from Limerick and our deepest deepest sympathies to her husband Paul her daughter and indeed all of the rest of her family Uh, 1850 333 103 Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103
0: 103 C103 Jobs It's that time
1: of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves
2: That's stamps.com. Code program.
3: Childbinder wanted to look after children in the children's own home. Now it is in the Canturk area. Previous experience and references desirable. An after-school practitioner and relief staff are wanted for Ballygiblin in Mitchellstown while an apprenticed toolmaker is required for Charleville. Students with a good Leaving Cert standard in engineering, technical graphics and maths should apply. And ground workers and skilled labourers are required for a busy construction company that's in the North Cork area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
0: Cork today
2: on C103. Call Patricia with your
0: comment. 1850
3: 333 103. OK, some of your calls and comments coming in. Vivian and Skipperine was on. He wants to go to the Junior A football match on Sunday night. He wants to know, where can he get a ticket? Does he have to go online for a ticket? If so, what website are tickets on sale for the Junior A football football match next Sunday. Does anybody know are tickets available for that match? If so how does our Billy in Skibbereen source one of those uh, tickets please if you can let us know 1850 333 103 or if you want to text us 0862 103 103 just staying on the whole subject of the GAA and matches starting to play uh, and training is back up and running when I was speaking with Dr Nick Flynn I mentioned about the GAA because somebody had texted in a question wondering should the GAA and should context sport be back up on and uh, running and Dr Nick says look we need to learn to live with this virus we need to emerge out of uh, those who've been cocooning and people need to start getting back to some kind of normality but we have to do it with great, great sense of doing it right and keeping ourselves uh, safe. Well, a listener says uh, we're, we're emerging to risk our lives when some things really are not necessary, like football. According to this or uh, somebody's not happy about the idea of contact sport back up and running. It is crazy. As for pubs, governments shouldn't open the floodgates just because irresponsible people are having house parties. We'll have it on the double then. Why? Because young people have a tendency to pre-drink before they go to the pub. So by opening the pubs, this listener reckons it wouldn't in any way stop the number of house uh, parties that are going going on. Uh, Just stay on that on pubs. Michael says Patricia, the government um, were right. But they had a tough call to make by not allowing bars. Bars should have opened, pubs should have been opened. Today was the day that they should they should have been opened. Michael reckons it was a tough decision but it was the right uh, decision by not allowing the bars to open. Oh sorry, Michael doesn't agree by not allowing the bars uh, to open. They're going at this at the wrong end of the licensed trade says Michael. It's the off license trade which should have been closed down as it's from them that the most damage is coming from and therefore the most dangerous. Publicans are the most experienced people in the licensed trade to control the sale of alcohol and that is without fear of contradiction. Years of experience, uh, publicans have years of experience so they know when to stop serving someone. Furthermore, by doing so, it would put an end to all of these house parties and beach parties and all the other parties that are going uh, on which have no doubt about it spread COVID-19 with the result of another lockdown and a massive loss of life young and old. Having the off-licence trade operating is like pouring petrol on a fire. Now is the time to put the blanket on that fire, thanking you, says uh, Michael. And last week, when we discovered that the pubs weren't going to reopen and it has... There was a mixed reaction, I have to say, to it. We had people who thought it was the right decision that were not ready yet to have crowded pubs opening. We had others, particularly people in the trade themselves who were so disappointed that they're not going to get their businesses back up and uh, running. But that whole argument of off-license and the amount of drink that's sold and the amount of cheap drink that's sold, not necessarily from an off-license but cheap drink that's available in supermarkets and convenience stores for example. People were saying that that's what's wrong and that's what's uh, allowing young people to buy up all of all of this uh, drink. But then young people are young people and they're going to socialise and they're going to meet up regardless. I mean there is the theory that if you have the pubs opened, like Michael's theory I think is 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 a good one to make that it's more... Republicans are experienced and you can control the amount of drink that young people are having or can you control it? But some would say the publicans are probably better doing that than allowing them go off into have a house party and we don't know how much they're going to drink and there's no end. There's nobody there to say no, uh, you have had enough. And, you know, we have seen what house parties have done. We were only was it this day last week, talking about the House party that had happened down in Kerry where 30 people from around the country all travelled down to uh, Kerry. Now, it turned out that somebody went to that party having tested positive for COVID-19. I mean the utter stupidity of it. They all attended, went away for the weekend, had this big house party on the Saturday night and then on the Sunday morning one of them decided to share with the rest of the group who had attended that party. By the way, I tested positive for COVID-19 last Thursday. They obviously didn't have any, any symptoms which we know for some reason. Some people don't have any symptoms and can be positive for COVID-19 but that doesn't mean that they're not going to go on and spread it to other uh, people. We're out trying to get a vaccine but as we've said countless times there will never, never be a vaccine for stupidity which is a real, real shame 1850 Hi Patricia You said this morning that the government can travel to Europe and come back without quarantine. Okay, what exactly did I say? Well, I was talking about Micheál Martin when some people were asking about Micheál Martin has gone to the EU summit in Brussels. And that's why there's a delay on this, the announcing of the European countries where people will go on this green uh, list It's because Neil Martin is not. He was due to come back yesterday, I think. But of course, we know that the summit meeting has gone on. The talks have gone on. So he's now expected back this evening. So it'll be tomorrow before they'll all meet and the cabinet will finalise the green list of countries where people, I'm slow to say, Will be allowed to travel because the government will still be saying to restrict, only make, uh, they, they will still be advising against non-essential European or foreign travel. But anyway, Anyway, I was talking about being Martin and somebody said will he have to quarantine when he comes back the fact that he's out of the country and we were told he will not have to undergo quarantine upon his arrival in Dublin because government ministers are exempt from the rule though he will be required to take a COVID-19 test when arriving back to uh, Ireland on his, on his return but government ministers are exempt from the rule of having to quarantine. I don't know if it's just government ministers or if it's everybody in the government but they do not have to quarantine so that's what a listener is picking up on. So if government ministers can come back and not have to quarantine, but still all of the people of this country have to abide by the rules of this government. Well, for starters, says this listener, I won't obey these rules and regulations anymore. I've done everything that the government have asked, but if there's one rule for one and different rules for others that I'm sorry, I'm not going to take any more of this. Well, this fellow, this was when Dr Nick Flynn was on. Dr Nick Flynn, who you're talking to, is scaremonger. I don't know if Dr Nick Flynn is a man who's at the cold face of it. So I would never accuse Dr Nick Flynn of uh, scaremongering. Anyway, this listener says, I will be travelling to England and to Germany and I'll be doing it before the end of the year. These both were trips that were planned since last year. So there's somebody who has decided because even with, even allowing for the government tomorrow saying we have this green list of countries, that have COVID-19 cases similar or lower than ours and therefore they're deemed countries where you won't have to quarantine when you come back, even allowing for that and then all of the other countries that are not on the, the green list. The government can't stop anybody getting on a plane and leaving this country and doing as this listener is deciding to do. This listener has said, have my holidays booked. I'm going to England. I'm going to Germany. There's nothing that the government can do. There's no rules or regulations that will stop them. We live in a democracy. All they can do is advise and the advice has always been against non-essential foreign travel. A holiday, they say, is not essential foreign travel. So therefore, they say to people, our advice—the advice that we are giving to you—and the government will say their advice is coming from Nefert, who are the health uh, experts. But this listener, there's no name on on that particular te- text, but that listener can can absolutely go to England, can absolutely go uh, to Germany. They will be asked to self isolate when they come back, but nobody can force them uh, to do it. Uh, 1850-333-103. Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls if there's anything you want to share with us. And what else is coming in by uh, text to us? Oh, a shout out here. This is, thank you to Margaret Fitzgerald on behalf of Ban. Bandon Tidy Towns got onto us earlier to say Bandon Tidy Towns are working in the GAA Kilbritton Road area tomorrow Tuesday and they'll be out and about from 7pm they're appealing to people living in the area who might like to come out and give them a little bit of a hand uh, to tidy up the area please help would be would be greatly appreciated so anybody in Bandon in the GAA Kilbritton Road area would you like to go out and do a little bit of a tidy up This it's great to see the Tidy Towns groups are still working there is busy busy as ever and I've spotted them out they do you can still do the cleanups while social distancing uh, as well so well done if anybody wants to help out that is the Bandon Tidy Towns group and can I also say a big thank you to John Fuller Thank you for his text to say. Hi Patricia, just a quick update on the drive-in bingo that was held in Kent yesterday. The day was a great success. The weather was beautiful. Players started arriving at 1pm. It was a 2.30 start. They were full of excitement as it was the first major outing for many of them. We're equally delighted to have seen so many familiar smiling faces. It wasn't all about winning. Everybody simply enjoyed themselves and we're looking forward to another bingo in uh, August. Countregards, that's John Fuller. Thank you for that, uh, John. And that was the bingo, the drive-in bingo that was held in Cantor Mart grounds. Are we going to see more drive-in bingos, I wonder, because they they do seem to be proving hugely, hugely successful. So no doubt John will let us know when the next drive-in bingo at Cantor Mart's. It's expected to be sometime in August. He will uh, let us know the date and we'll be able to share it uh, with everybody else. Thank you for that, uh, John. And then a listener, this is on hairdressing. Says, hi Patricia, I'm wondering anybody else feeling the same as me. I was delighted to get to the hairdressers last Friday and I wore my mask as was requested. But can anybody tell me why the hairdressers themselves are not wearing masks? They only had the plastic face visor on. They were placed at a slant over their faces. So all it does, I felt, is direct their droplets from their breath down over the person sitting on the chair under them for up to an hour. The customer is wearing a mask and of course you wear a mask to protect the hairdresser. But I felt the customer is very much at risk from catching the virus from an a, from an asymptomatic hairdresser. The hairdressers should be wearing a mask. End of, says this um, texter. Uh, Now, again, I think this is this is an individual one because the hairdresser, my hairdresser, when I went, wasn't wearing a visor, was wearing a mask. And I have spotted other hairdressers that I've, you know, walking past and I've seen other hairdressers wearing masks. So I suppose it's an individual one. All of the hairdressers are following guidelines and I suppose some of the guidelines are obviously saying that they can wear visors instead. But can I say, there are a lot of hairdressers who are wearing a mouth covering. It's obviously some individual hairdressers for whatever reason don't want to wear the masks. But I thought, and I don't know if that listener was listening to my chat with Dr Nick Flynn in the last hour because somebody asked him that direct question about face visors versus masks. And he said 11 out of 10 times a face mask way more uh, effective than a visor. And he went on to explain, because if you look at in any of the surgeries or in any of the hospitals, you know, particularly when we've seen people with the full PPE gear who are working inside in the COVID wards, they will have a face mask and they'll have a visor on over the face mask, the visor therefore to protect their eyes. So obviously from that point of view, the science behind it says that a visor will not replace a face mask so whether if you're feeling that uncomfortable which obviously this listener is i would suggest that you would say it to your hairdresser when you go the next time that you would prefer that the hairdresser is wearing a face covering. You now, it could be that the hairdresser, I don't know, I don't know how many hairdressers are in the practice. And was everybody wearing visors? Was anybody wearing a mouth covering a face mask? Uh, but uh, I would certainly suggest that you maybe have a chat with your hairdresser and just say that you are a little bit nervous. And there are people who are still nervous about even going back to their hairdresser there are people now that restaurants are open and I have to say I've been out the la- last Saturday again without a lovely meal in the gallery in Mallow and it was great just to get out and to feel normal and to have a meal served and have a glass of wine with it and it was it was terrific I have to say but I know I've been talking with people some people are still very nervous about even going out to restaurants just very nervous of being in any kind of an outlet where there, you know, are a lot of uh, people. And I wonder now when the compulsory nature of the face masks comes in, would that make people feel a little bit more comfortable? Because the science says if you've two people standing together, talking, even with the two metre distance, if you're both wearing face masks you reduce the chances of picking up COVID-19 by 99% so there's a lot of science behind the face masks and we just all have to get used to wearing the face masks I know we were hoping to speak at this point with uh, RG data but there seems to be a problem uh, with getting through to uh, Tara Buckley so we're not going to be able to get to that uh, certainly today but uh, we'll see if we can slot her in and get back to it at a later date uh, this week as there's a lot of people talking ...about the face masks and what's happening with the face masks. Um, and, and also, when are they going to be made mandatory? Now, I know we got on to the Taoiseach's office. I don't know if I have the statement here. Here, uh, I know I have it somewhere here. We got on to the Taoiseach's office last week because people were saying, when is it actually going to be mandatory? We're told that we all should be wearing face masks now when we go into supermarkets and certainly at the weekend I notice there is an increase in the number of people wearing face masks. But when does it actually become law? When could you actually be fined if you don't wear a face mask inside in a supermarket and how much is that fine going to be? So we put in a question to the Taoiseach's office to try to find out... And they got back to us and they say the government have agreed that face coverings should be worn by all customers in shops and shopping centers across the country. Retail staff will also be required to wear a face covering unless there's a petition between them and members of the public and where there's a distance of two metres between them and members of the public. Now, regulations with details on enforcement and penalties are in the process of being drafted and will be published when finalised. Okay, so they don't have the enforcement and they don't have the penalties in place yet, but they are still saying that face coverings should be worn. And as I say, it is for anyone over the age of 11, because people are asking about children and do children need to wear face uh, coverings. And we're told that the face coverings... Even though I'm just checking now, that was the UK one. So we need to check on the Irish one. I'm sure for the Irish one. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just checking that piece where I mentioned the face covering under 11. That's in the UK. Let's see if we can find out for sure about the face coverings for children here in. Uh, Ireland is going to be compulsory or not because certainly in the United Kingdom where you can now be fined I think it's up to £100 on the spot fine if you're not wearing a face covering when out in a supermarket and I know in the UK it's uh, for children aged over 11 so we'll get verification on children in this country with the wearing of uh, face masks but as of now penalties uh, are not in yet but the government are working on it and when it is published we will bring it to you 1850 333
0: 103 C103 Text or WhatsApp, Patricia, with your comment. 086 2103
3: 103. Now, a group called Considerate Cakes has gained momentum on social media. They provide free birthday cakes for people who are currently in a situation where they cannot buy a cake or don't have facilities to bake one. The group is now reaching out to Cork Bakers to get involved. And to tell us more, I'm joined by one of the co-founders of Considerate Cakes, and that's Francisca Axe. Uh, good morning to you, Francisca. Good morning. Thanks uh, for having me. Well, listen, you're, you're, you're very welcome. Uh, just to explain the background, it was you and your partner, Dara, who came up with the idea to, to bake the birthday cake. Just explain how and why.
7: OK, so the initiative started dec- uh, six weeks ago in Dublin. And I just thought everyone can make the world a better place in their own way. And I love baking. So I thought I just want to bake for someone who really needs it. And so it started that I thought that I'm going to bake one cake a week for one person. And after the second week, we got already five people involved. And now we have 67 people. So it's really crazy how fast um, the message get across. And so many people wanted to get involved. It's so nice to see that so many people want to help. And... Yeah, it started as a really small idea and now it's a big reality.
3: Well, that's fantastic. It's 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 really great. And are, are are you a professional baker or are you just a good home baker?
7: Yeah, I'm not professional at all. I just really love baking and I always bake for my family and friends and they always loved it. But um, no, I'm not professional. I just love I would love to help for someone. And um, yeah, we have a lot of professional bakers in the group as well. But mostly, it's just hobby bakers, That's and just great. people like you and me. Yeah,
3: it's, fra- it's fra- and and Cork bakers have responded to the call, I believe, so far.
7: Yeah, it was really crazy. So we started in Cork two weeks ago, and we have already thirty people in the group, which is really, really amazing. We had many people helping us, asking their friends, and um, like without so many people helping us, this wouldn't be possible.
3: And I went on your Facebook page. Francisca, and I have to say, some of the cakes are absolutely stunning.
7: Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm overwhelmed how many amazing bakers we have, because as I said, I'm just a hobby baker. So my cakes look like I put a lot of love in them, but they don't look professional. But we have really, really amazing bakers, and I'm so happy to have them on board. We have people who actually sell their cakes and they're willing to make it for free. It's such a nice initiative like we delivering happiness with the cakes, and it makes such a big difference to people who actually like forgotten by society many times
3: yeah and there's some gorgeous photographs um i'll direct people to go to the facebook page because there's some gorgeous photographs of very happy birthday girls and boys who've received their birthday cakes and you can just see the smile it's 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 terrific and it's Families in places like Direct Provision, Francisca, are homeless accommodation. I mean, people living in hotels and B&Bs, for example, would have no way of baking a birthday cake.
7: Exactly. And it's really also for people who are just in a bad situation right now. Like COVID had brought so many people to like a really difficult situation. So we don't want to exclude anyone who cannot afford or can bake a cake for themselves because we believe everyone deserves a birthday cake on their birthday to uh, make it special.
3: What a lovely thing. Everyone deserves a birthday cake and you and, and you, you are you are so uh, so right. So just explain how it works. Uh, 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 what happens when a family would contact you?
7: Okay, so people can contact us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, they can call me, they can WhatsApp me, they can email me. We have a website so there's many ways So they only have to tell us what kind of cake they want because that's the great thing about the initiative as well. They can have a personalized birthday cake. So they can tell us what they want. And I think this is really important because they come from different cultures and like they can't get the cake they would have in their own country here because it's like they're just not possible. So we had like lemon banana cake, which is something you wouldn't find in the store,
3: even if you could. I've never even heard of that combination, but it actually sounds quite good.
7: (laughs) And I barely found a recipe (laughs) for that. So it was a really big challenge for me as well. But it was so nice because we gave him back a memory, which he had at home. And he told me like he ate this all the time at home and like he was really craving for it. So that's really special. So that's the first question, like what kind of cake they want. Then the second one, if it's a child, I want to know the age. Because for children, we try to make it even more special. We want to make the cake look like their favorite movie character or something else. Um, we had, like, car cakes already. We have mermaid cakes. We have all kind of cakes for kids. So that's really nice as well. Um, also, we need to know if they have any allergies. That's really important for us, of course. And where they live. And, um, yeah, that's basically it. So it's it's a really easy process. They just tell me these information, and then I'm looking for a baker.
3: So you try and and match up a local baker then closest to where that person lives, for example, is it? Uh,
7: So we have a WhatsApp group and uh, I put every birthday in and then the first one who says they want to do the cake, Uh, they can do the cake. uh,
3: And then do they deliver as well?
7: Yes. So I think it's really important that the people who bake the cake and put lots of effort in it, that they also get the reaction because the reaction is really the nicest thing. So we had amazing reaction and then you really see that you make a difference even if it's just for one day um, it really does make a difference and it's nice if you see it because you made the cake and it's a gift you give for um, to them so I, I recommend everyone to do it um, themselves we have drivers though as well so like uh, for instance I don't have a car so I have a driver who helps me there and um, yeah it's really nice we have so many people involved in this thing we had supply donations birthday gifts Uh, Donators and the bakers, the drivers, it's a really big initiative now, although it's really new, it's just six weeks old and now we're already in four cities.
3: It's brilliant. Really great. It's 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 really brilliant, and and you're giving such a great memory to that person, and particularly for if, if it's a child, what a wonderful memory yes. that child will have of whatever birthday it is, the day that somebody came with this with this beautiful cake. I mean, it's it's terrific. Do you remember your own birthday cakes as a child, Francisca? Was it was it something that was always a must when you were growing up?
7: Yes. So I love sweet things. That's also why <laughs> I love baking, and my grandma would do like. Oh, amazing cakes. I don't think I can ever be as good as her, but it was always special for me. And like this is the whole celebration, you know, like you can share it with your friends. You can sit there. You can talk while you're eating the cake. So it's not only the cake itself, it's also everything what comes with the cake. And um, I see that the people are taking pictures of the cakes with them and then they have it as their WhatsApp (laughs) picture, which I think is really cute because it just shows how much happiness it brought in her life.
3: And you're still looking for bakers who would like to get involved?
7: So, currently in court, we have enough bakers. Oh, great. incredible because so many people got involved. We're looking um, for people in Limerick and Galway because this is quite something new. Um, But, like, we really need people to help us to spread the word and to raise awareness because for us, it's really difficult because we can't get into the direct provision centres, obviously, and we can't go into the homeless shelters. So... If just people are a little bit more uh, attentive and they look for people who actually Might like to um, avail of this. It would be nice if they contact us to make someone happy.
3: Yeah, and and I know we've got a number of our listeners who do fantastic voluntary work at homeless shelters, and a number of them work in the local direct provision centres across uh, Cork. So uh, hopefully they'll pick up on this and they'll just give the mention to you know if somebody has a birthday coming up that they they can that you can get involved. It's it's terrific. And uh, Francesca, I can see here by your accent, you're you're not uh, a native to Dublin. (laughs) Where where are you originally from? Uh, From Germany. I'm
7: German-Hungarian. I came to Dublin 10 months ago.
3: So you haven't been home in a while, have you?
7: Well, I'm actually in Germany now because I haven't been there for so long. So um, I visited my parents. I'm visiting my parents now. So it's really nice to be home.
3: Okay, And uh, how are are Germany? Germany are doing reasonably well with COVID-19. They're very similar to here, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so we're actually doing really well. Um,
7: everything opens like a lot earlier than in Ireland. So um, stores have been open for more than a month now. And yeah, like the German government did a really good job. Um, everybody, like we have to wear the mask, which I think is um, quite interesting that there's no mask um, rule that we have to wear them in um, Ireland.
3: Well, so, it's coming in yeah. in shops, but it isn't, it isn't mandatory out, out on the street. Will you self-isolate when you come home for two weeks?
7: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm working from home, so it's not a problem at all. Okay. And um, so two weeks, i definitely going to stay at home. And I have amazing bakers who can still deliver cakes.
3: So do that's all, not a do all the baking. Either. Listen, uh, well, um, uh, listen, thank you for that. And it's Considerate Cakes. Uh, if people yeah. want to check that out on Facebook and on Insta. Um, and, but it's brilliant. And I'd advise anybody to go just take a look at the cakes because they are uh, stunning. It's a, a wonderful, wonderful initiative. Uh, Francisco, well done to you and to Dara for coming up with it. And thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Bye 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 bye. Good morning to you. 1850 333 103 lines open. Still getting in uh, texts about face masks and face coverings with people saying is it mandatory from today that if you're going shopping that you must wear a face mask and lots of people still asking about uh, children. Well the government uh, when, when Micheál Martin made this announcement last week, was it last week was it before, last wasn't it, wasn't it uh, last Wednesday Yeah, when they announced that they weren't moving into uh, Phase 4. The government have agreed that face coverings should be worn by all customers in shops and shopping centres. Most people are assuming that it comes in from today because uh, re- because when Michael Martin made the announcement he said retail staff will be required to wear a, a face covering unless they have a barrier between them, a partition between them or they're able to keep two metres apart from uh, members of the general public. So all of the shops are kicking in. They all decided to do it from today rather and do it from last, say, Thursday, the day after the announcement has been made. So I would say from today that, yes, I'd say you're going to see the majority of people when out and about in supermarkets and in shops will be wearing face coverings. There's just no enforcement or penalties in place at the moment. We know, for example, there's penalties in place if you go on public transport, if you go on a train or a bus, and you're not wearing a face mask. We only had a, we only did a piece about it last Friday on the program. How somebody was removed from the train in Thurles, the only person on the Cork, the Dublin to Cork train who wasn't wearing a face mask, and he was removed in, in uh, Thurles. And you can be fined, and the fines are quite severe. If you refuse to wear a face mask on a bus or a train, the, you can be fined up up to. Two and a half thousand euro or you could even get a six month prison sentence. Now, I, I, we have no way of knowing if the punishment for not wearing a face mask in a shop or a store is going to be as high as that. But we just know when we got on to the Department of the Taoiseach, they say that they are in the process of drafting the regulations and they're going to be, they'll be published when they're finalised and we'll find out exactly what the fines uh, will be will it be as high as that i i don't know i i simply don't know but just to clarify on the children the regulations do not apply to children under the age of 13 okay i mentioned 11 in the last hour but when i mentioned 11 what I was that what i was actually looking at was only cuz i just took a quick glance at something that i was looking at online just tried to get uh, clarification on it. It's in England where there's the compulsory wearing of face masks in England. I think it's in already, isn't it? For over in the UK, it's uh, children 11. And under are are exempt, but in Ireland they've pushed it to 13s. So, okay, so if you're out and about with children, or you're bringing children in, into supermarkets, and we are starting to see more families going into supermarkets, there's still a lot of the supermarkets are only allowing children at certain times of the day when they have sort of like family friendly shopping hours. But if you're bringing children with you. Up to the age of thirteen, they won't have to wear a face mask. But over the age of thirteen, so any of the teenagers who are going into any supermarkets or shops will be legally obliged to wear a face mask. So, is it in from today? I would say, I would say yes. I would say yes. I certainly, at the weekend, anywhere I went, popped the face mask on. I mean, the one thing about it is, is just to have one in your bag with you um, at all times. And somebody has sent me in very stylish looking. Um, with a variety of colours from Claire, I have no more detail than that, except somebody has sent in, these are face masks that will be made at home and of course we're saying that to people, you don't have to go out and buy it because when we discussed face masks last week, we had people saying, what about old age pensioners who might not be able to afford a mask? You don't have to spend a lot of money on masks, you can go and buy the disposable ones if you want, but the there's many different types of face coverings. I mean, I saw people out the weekend who were using a scarf, very cleverly using a kind of like a, a, a scarf that they had tied at the back. And the, actually I saw a very stylish lady. She had matching her outfit. I thought she said she went a great effort uh, this morning. So it's just once your nose and your mouth is covered, how you decide to do that is is really up to you. But there's a lot of people, if you check locally, there's a lot of people who are really hand, handy with a needle and thread and with the sewing machine and are making some gorgeous, gorgeous face masks. And certainly back when masks were first discussed back in March, some would say what the government should have done was introduce the mandatory nature of masks back in March and we may not have had as many cases of COVID-19 passed on if everyone had been wearing masks. But there was a huge problem. We're trying to get enough masks. We know the problem that they... The government had with PPE gear for the hospitals and we'd huge, you know, big planes were being sent to China loaded up with PPE uh, gear. And there was a danger that if everybody started rushing out buying masks, that there might be enough masks for those that were working in the front line in the COVID wards and we needed it for the frontline staff but since then people have got there's been some fantastic entrepreneurs out there who are making masks and selling masks and there's you know I think if you go into any shop now I've seen so many masks on sale both the disposable ones chemist shops in particular I think every single chemist shop that you go to have different types of masks on sale. They have the disposable uh, ones. Uh, But obviously, from a practical point of view and a financial, well, not a practical point of view, but from a financial point of view, it's much more cost effective if you buy a mask that you can reuse, but you need to make sure you wash the masks, obviously. And then it's the putting on and taking off of the masks and not to touch your face. you just, you do need to be really, really careful with the masks because there's a danger that you'll end up spreading the virus yourself if you're not putting on the mask and taking it off properly but certainly the washable ones ones that you can make yourself um, and but as I say you can use a headscarf uh, uh, as well somebody else is asking and so I know I've put this I've bounced this out to Bernie to see if she can get any update on it asking the is the dispute still going on between dentists and the HSE over PPE gear that was Helen in Mallow we're trying to get more information for you Helen I know back in June the Irish dentalists Association then talking with the health minister, who at the time was one Simon Harris, was saying that dental practices were expected to withdraw from the Dental Medical Card Scheme, and that was due to the additional cost of the PPE, the personal protective uh, equipment. And they were in dispute, but I don't know where we're at with that. But we're we're trying to get onto the Irish Dental Association, and I'm assuming that that's what Helen is uh, talking about when she contacted us, um, Helen. So we're trying to find out what's going on because I know in private practice when people are going to the dentist, we've, it was probably one of the first things we heard of increases as a direct result of COVID-19. People going into their dentist, not all, but many of the dentists were charging extra and it was to cover the cost of the PPE gear for the uh, dentist. But listen, we'll, we'll see what we get back from the Irish Dental Association as to what's going on with medical card uh, people. And then on people travelling out of the country, Michael says, Priscia beggars belief that people do not understand English. The government of this country are telling us no travel, only essential travel abroad. Essential travel, that's not holidays. And furthermore, insurance companies will not cover you if you get sick or if they do, you're going to. It'll come at a price. I would also question the validity of the EU medical card, this is the European Health Insurance card you know the the E111 as uh, we used to call them Um, Michael questions the validity of those particularly, especially if you're not adhering to your own country's rules and uh, regulations. Well on private health insurance, your own travel insurance people who do decide to travel outside of Ireland have been warned that they will invalidate their travel insurance even if the country they visit is on this so-called green list of safe countries which will be published by the government tomorrow. Uh, travel insurance exclusions denying it will deny cover to people who travel to to country to the official guidance and the guidance still coming from this country even with the green list tomorrow unless they change let's wait and see what the government when they announce the green list will they change and say You can go to those countries for non-essential travel, but at the moment it's only essential travel abroad. And the European health insurance cards that Michael has raised there in his uh, text, that's the one where you will be able to access medical care. In most public hospitals in Europe but the traveller will have to bear the costs of private treatment or if God forbid you became very unwell and needed to be repatriated. Your E111 card will not cover the cost of repatriating you and um, that could run into tens of thousands of uh, euro and of course also the European Health Insurance doesn't cover you for like lost bags crim- criminal damage, if your flight gets cancelled, anything else that your normal travel insurance uh, will cover you for. So, so it Is something that you really do need to keep in mind if you go and decide that you do want uh, to uh, travel. And Tim is questioning the pubs that have reopened. These are the restaurants that have been reopened and gastropubs that have reopened and pubs that serve food. Tim reckons that pubs with food licences should have been allowed to serve food only with only one bottle of wine per table per booking. Tim says, I think the precautions have come in too late. We're getting closer to winter. We will have the flu and chest infection season and that will be in addition to COVID-19. And well, And I think all of the health experts are saying before we get into flu season it's one of the reasons that we need to try to almost get COVID-19 down to zero before we head into uh, flu season and of course flu season is just around the corner and there will be the big push for everybody to get their flu vaccine uh, more important I think this year than ever before. 1850 333 103 Sadie and Bernie you're taking your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary
2: With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie
3: Ciscane Parish They're holding their collection For Cork Penny Dinners It's going to be next Sunday The 26th of July In the local community centre They're looking for Non-perishable goods home baking and cash would be much appreciated and the photo plant and garden fair takes place next weekend Saturday and Sunday 11am to 4pm on both days. The event is normally well attended and this year it's one of the first relatively sizable events taking place in the Cork region since the easing of uh, restrictions. Something we're going to find out a lot more about tomorrow on the programme is Scuffy's Pet Shop in Dunmanway. They're looking for volunteers to pose with their pets for their 2021 Naked Calendar, all proceeds from the calendar will be split eleven ways to each charity or club represented by each month. And you can contact Scruffy's Pet Shop in Damanway uh, on 085 875 But as I say, we'll carry more and have more about that particular calendar tomorrow on the program. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850
0: 333
3: 103. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we put a call out to somebody who had donated a jewellery box to the NCBI charity shop in McCroom. They were trying to find whoever donated the box because there was an item discovered in the box that they believe the donor was unaware was in the box. Uh, At the time we spoke with uh, Mary Crowley, the store manager at the NCBI charity shop in McCroom. And I'm delighted to say Mary is uh, back with us uh, on the program. Sorry, it's Mary Cowley. Uh, Good morning. Good afternoon to you, Mary. Hi. Hi. I've Listen, great to have you back on the programme. Okay, you, you ju- just to remind listeners who perhaps didn't hear your first time round, it was a wooden jewellery box with kind of glass on the side, wasn't it?
5: That's correct, yeah. And it had like a little carousel bit on the inside where people would hang chains, like three bars on the side, you know, rings and earrings and stuff. And it was in the ring compartment that when I was cleaning that out, it, something had fallen down behind into the, you know, the, the blind part of the box, if you like.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so so, uh, so when you took the box, you realised that this was left in error?
5: Yes, that's correct. I mean, it was quite clear that it wasn't meant to be donated, you know, <laughs> and if it was, it was brilliant light, but it wasn't the kind of thing you would normally get. And because of where it was as well, that was quite, you know, quite yeah. obvious, really.
3: And we, for very, was, for very obvious reasons, we and your good self, we never stated that it was a ring, that had been left behind. No,
5: that's correct. No, not at all. No.
3: So the call went out and it went up on social media and I believe the owner has returned.
5: She has, yeah. She came in on a Saturday and um, uh, she'd been made aware of it by a friend, actually. And it wasn't until she actually looked at the picture and said, oh my God, that was her jewellery box because one of the handles was broken. And then she, she knew me as well. So like when she saw that my name was on it, she said, oh my God, that's Mary. Like she said, that's my jewellery box when she came in and she said to me, she said, um, "You know, I've lost my engagement ring." But she said, "It can't. Is, is it that, Mary?" And I said, "Well, can you describe it to me?" And it, she described it to a T. It was perfect. It was the, the, the ring, and she'd been searching for it for months, and she never, she never actually even thought for one minute that it would have been in the box. <laughs> but um, it obviously, ne- it was. It
3: never dawned on her to look in the most obvious place. No, and I we... know, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we all do that. I know and
5: the funny thing was like I said to her like I phoned the radio and let them know that we found it I said are you happy for me to say your name she says no Mm. she says don't tell them who I am she said because he'll never let me live it down (laughs) as her husband
3: clearly (laughs) so So she she was like absolutely not (laughs) so she hadn't told her nearest and dearest that the ring was missing? No, not at all. She'd been praying to St. Anthony for weeks <laughs> as saying, to try <laughs> oh, she, to find the ring. She definitely
5: owes oh St. Anthony that, money, that's it, for sure. That's it. That's what I said to her. I said, well, you in big time. I said, you better do a bit more praying. I said, you catch catching up to do. So she, yeah, so she was chuffed a bit. She really was, yeah. She ah, was it's really brilliant.
3: Pleased. It's it's really yeah. been And the, the jewellery box has since been sold on to somebody, hasn't it? It has,
5: and yes, it's got a new home and the lady, actually the lady came back to me again and said, you know did we want to you know did we need the box yeah as well just to prove that it was belonging to the lady and i said no i'm quite happy that we knew who you know we knew about the box you know because as i say it had a broken handle on it so we kind of it was distinctive in that sense anyway so she saw it on the picture and that's what kind of made her made it stand out so and i just want to say thanks to everybody because lots of people had been in touch as well with the shop and you know thought you know bearing reasons but yeah and if it hadn't been for people and the radio and stuff we would never have gotten in touch with her because she would ne- she's not a social media person herself but someone had heard it on the radio and then went on and had a look and then got in touch with her and said listen you know did you hear about this and that's where it all stemmed from so oh, thank you very
3: much uh, it's, It is brilliant yeah. and actually when we were talking with you you were you were just reopened and were just back up and, and running again. How has the charity shop been going since Mary? It's been going well. I mean, not as well as before, um, obviously, because a lot of,
5: the, as I said to you before, a lot of the people that would perhaps use us more would be the cocooning age group. Mm. So like from a volunteer perspective, we've lost a lot of them um, at the moment. It's only a temporary thing. Hopefully they'll be back. But yeah, the shop is going well. And But, you know, I, I think like anything, it's, it's just a little bit slower and more careful. And obviously today now with the masking and stuff, you know, it's another different change, and I think people are just a little bit scared, I think you know, we're all a bit scared, and you know, we just don't know what what's normal anymore. I think zero you percent, know. but, um, but it's going fine. You know, and we're we're really happy, and we're still getting loads of donations and everything. So people are still clearing
3: out. So that, <laughs> Actually, yeah. I think no. all all of the charity shops are saying that that yeah. lockdown was used to do a little bit of a clear out, and uh, people now Absolutely. that they're going out and about are donating more. So so that certainly is is good to Definitely. hear. But but you yeah. know, I I think you're right. I think there is still a a nervousness out there because yes. this virus yeah, hasn't gone away. No.
5: And and it is like people are just a little bit nervous about it. They just don't know. They don't know what we well, we don't know what we don't know, do we? That's the that's the saying, isn't it? And mm. It's the fear of the unknown and how to manage it and stuff like that. But hopefully we'll just um
3: okay. take care and, and and just make sure and like all other retail shops, everybody coming into your store from today has to wear a mask. Yeah. And your your staff have to wear masks. Will that cause problems?
5: Well, not really, because they don't have to wear a mask if they're behind the screen. Yeah. And so we do have a screen up on that area. And we only have one shop, one member in the shop at a time. But anyone who's like, say if I was, you know, going through the shop or anything, I'd have my mask on as well and stuff. Yeah. But no, it hasn't caused any problems for anybody at all, actually. Nobody's been difficult or anything like that. And of course, which is is great.
3: Your charity shop is is the National Council for the the Blind, and for for anyone, if if when people when people are out and about, if you if you spot somebody who's visually impaired and people with guide dogs, uh, guide dogs are not trained in social distancing, and somebody who's visually impaired doesn't realise when they're say at a traffic lights that they're standing beside someone. So the rest of the public has to be very aware of that.
5: That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Definitely.
3: Listen, Mary. It's it's a happy, good news story. So I'm I'm delighted Absolutely. for that. Absolutely. Our mysterious, generous lady who was donating to a great charity. Yes. but she, <laughs> she, she has the she has the engagement ring back, and she doesn't have to tell hubby that she it has. was ever missing.
5: And Mar- Absolutely.
3: Marital harmony has <laughs> continued. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> and St Anthony... Thank you so much for your help. No problem. And St Anthony's done well out of it as well. Listen, he thanks has, for that. Actually, very well. OK. <laughs> you Take look care. after bye bye. yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Lovely lady. That is Mary Cowley, who is the store manager with the NCBI charity shop in McCroom. And I don't know if the lady... who lost her ring and then donated it by mistake to charity if she's even aware, if she's listening to us or or not. But I'm glad that you've got your ring back. And, you know, Mary made a really good good point when, like, that really went viral on social media because I know we hit it up on our social media uh, platforms and lots of people were sharing it from our page as well. And we'd actually picked it up from the NCBI charity, uh, their their own Facebook page was was how we, it came to our attention. But Mary is right, not everyone uses social media. I think because most of us use it, we, we seem to think, oh, she once it goes up on social media, it goes viral, she, everybody knows about it. And that's not the case. And there's actually a little dog that we spoke about last week on the programme and we had it up on our social media platforms as well. And it is a little cocker spaniel who had been found in Mallow well it was an operation was put in place and this little stole what we now believe is a stolen Cocker Spaniel was found with another little Cocker Spaniel I think as well but the other dog had a microchip and therefore the other dog was returned to its rightful owner but this little dog this little Cocker Spaniel doesn't have a microchip and they the Garda in Mallow there's somebody in the Garda station and Mallow's actually taking the dog home and is, is looking after the dog and they're going to huge lengths to try and get this dog back to its rightful owner. They believe that the dog was possibly stolen stolen somewhere in Leinster, but they just don't know where. And I'm assuming that the other dog that was found was stolen somewhere in Leinster. So I think that the two dogs may have been stolen in the same area, certainly not from the same uh, household. So I saw on the Daily Mail today, They've put up a picture of the little spaniel under the headline sad image of stolen spaniel goes viral as owners are sought because it has gone viral. I have seen this picture shared on so many Facebook posts and I saw it on Twitter and I saw it on Instagram. And then when I saw the picture in the paper today, it just got me thinking. Well, what if that's somebody who isn't on Facebook, isn't on Twitter, isn't on TikTok, just doesn't do social media? Somebody has lost a dog somewhere and it does look like a much loved dog. It's a very nervous little dog and it's just desperate to get home to its rightful owner. So I was glad to see it on the Daily Mail today and maybe other newspapers will pick up on it uh, as well because it would be great if we could get this dog returned to its owner and we here certainly on this program we've been doing so many interviews about stolen dogs and certainly during lockdown it seems to have gotten even worse because the price of dogs went up during lockdown and there wasn't enough breeders didn't have enough pups to meet the demand for people who were stuck at home and suddenly decided now is a good time to take on a dog, to get a little puppy and, you know, because we're going to be around, we're going to be able to train it and we'll be here for that early time that you need to be around when you're settling a dog, settling a puppy into your house. So I suppose a lot of people thought that that was a good time to do it. But because of that, then you had very unscrupulous dealers who are just really making huge profits out of the misery of some of their dogs, particularly when you when you look at puppy violence. But dogs then started getting stolen to owner. I mean, remember last week we spoke with that lady from County Wexford, Patricia, who had her dog uh, stolen and they cut the microchip out of the dog's neck, but the pups were gone. I mean, it's just just dreadful, absolutely dreadful, uh, what is going going on. So people need to be so careful when they decide to buy a dog from a well known site. You just need to be so, so careful. But that little cocker spaniel, as I say, there's a guard in based at Malaguard the station who has taken the dog home and is is looking after it but I know everybody at Malaguard the station would really like to see this dog returned to her rightful owner Malogard, the station can be contacted 022 31450 022 31450 as I say they think it was possibly stolen from the Leinster area but it could have been stolen from, from anywhere Uh, across the city or county or anywhere across the country so if anybody knows of a little spaniel that has gone uh, missing it could be the one we're talking about that's in Mallow at the moment 1850 uh, 333103 on the wearing of masks Patricia I was sitting in my car yesterday in a local town two buses pulled through in opposite directions everybody on the bus was wearing a mask except for one person the one person being the drivers says uh, Pat we've discussed this before Pat on the programme the driver does not have to wear the mask they're in behind the sh- the screen so when the regulations came in about people on buses wearing masks. It does not include the driver. The driver doesn't have to and that I think was on health and safety grounds for driving long distances. They couldn't and are not expected to wear a a mask. Hi Patricia, you mentioned drive-in bingo. I did. Would you please mention that there's a drive-in bingo in Aragland Community Field and it's on next Sunday the 26th, 3 o'clock in the afternoon and that's a text in from Tom McCarthy. Thank you for that Tom. And Tom would you send that text in to me again on Friday so that I can just give another mention to it I'll have the best intentions to do it again and then I'll forget about it with all other texts coming in so if you send it in to me again later on in the week I certainly will give it a mention but anybody who'd like to go to Drive-In Bingo seeing as the one in Cantor seemed to have been hugely successful last weekend Aragland Community Field your place to go next Sunday 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Annalise Dressel our nutritional therapist is up next if you've got a question for Annalise get it into us 1850 333 103 you can text her WhatsApp a question for Annalise to eight six two. 103,
0: 103. Call today on C one o three. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. Oh eight six two one o three, one o three. And by the way,
3: when I mentioned on our community diary, I was talking about the photo plant and garden fair. And I thought when I was reading it out, was that still going ahead? Seeing as the number of people at an outdoor event hasn't increased in numbers because there's been a pause on uh, phase four. Well, Eileen from Cove says, Patricia, the plant fair and photo according. On their Facebook page is postponed until September Okay, and they're obviously at that stage hoping that more people will be allowed to gather as an outdoor event Okay, so that's the FOTA Plant and Garden Fair it was due to be on this weekend it's now going ahead the weekend of the 13th of September thank you Eileen for that Annelise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic joining us good afternoon to you Anneliese. good afternoon and, and you are very welcome Did you, are you enjoying the fine weather isn't it great to have it back
8: Absolutely magnificent and it's great as well because we have to holiday at home this year so it's wonderful that we get to experience the best of our country.
3: And it's good for us all to get a bit of vitamin D because by all accounts vitamin D really good for your immune system.
8: Yeah and I think Patricia I say every year clock change to clock change so we do store vitamin D in our bodies are the sun the action of sun on cholesterol actually in our skin and our body will convert it. To the active form of vitamin d and we need it for our immune systems we need it for healthy bones and they're still discovering various different um um important roles in the body that vitamin d is playing so it is good to get at least 15 minutes of exposure onto bare arms every day of sunshine and i think in ireland that's why we have a lot of osteoporosis i think it's because generally we don't get enough sunshine Certainly any vitamin D that we would have stored from our Irish summers would be probably gone by the end of October. So I think it's always a good idea to go mentally from clock change to clock change. But at the moment, there's a lot of people recommending that people um, take vitamin D all the time because of COVID at the moment. So I think especially if you're worried, you know, and if you're wearing a high factor, on your skin, or if you're wearing a factor on your in your face creams, then you're not exposing yourself. I think it's definitely worth taking. But in the summer, I wouldn't recommend anybody take higher than a thousand IU's. You know, a lot of people take up as far as three thousand or four thousand, which is quite high. But I think if you're taking it regularly, a thousand is more than enough.
3: Okay, now straight into questions. Questions for Annalise, please. 1850 333 Bernie and Sadie taking the calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103, 103. Could you ask Annalise, is there any natural cure for lupus? I've had it for the last six years, uh, and while I am on medication, but I sometimes feel the medication can make me feel quite sick.
8: Um, I, and I can understand that, Patricia, that autoimmune medication can make people feel very unwell. Um, Now, lupus is an autoimmune disorder, so basically the body is doing the damage itself. So it's like all other autoimmune disorders like MS or rheumatoid arthritis, um, that it's about about rebalancing the immune system. And unfortunately for autoimmune disorders, generally there's no cure as such. What you're looking to do is you're looking to put your body into remission um, so that you're not experiencing any symptoms. And there's lots of things that can be done, including diet, um, following a very clean diet, um, in fact, a lot of people who come to me for um, in my clinics, Patricia, some people are very up for anything, you know. So um, I would do sometimes a juice-only diet just to reset the whole system. Certainly removing any foods that would potentially be causing food intolerances or food allergies is very important. So you might want to look at the usual um, culprits, which would be eggs, would you believe, are always the first, that one that come up. Uh, gluten isn't as 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 common to come up as a food intolerance as eggs but eggs and dairy definitely would come up quite a lot then yeast and gluten would be probably after that so have a look at the diet and see if they're part of that um, maybe cut them out, see if you feel any better also following a natural anti-inflammatory diet is very important so a natural anti-inflammatory diet would be one that's very low in animal-based products, so little meat, little cheese, little cream, little butter, um, and again, little eggs, and very high in vegetables, so that you'd be packing a minimum of eight to ten vegetables in a day. And then taking natural anti-inflammatory supplements. I'm always a big fan of the fish oils, particularly for people with lupus. Um, You need to take a big, strong dose of it, so you need to take at least Five or 600 milligrams of EPA and about 400 milligrams of DHA uh, which is about 1,000 milligrams of the omega threes of pure oil so it's, all, it's about what you pay for Patricia unfortunately when it comes to fish oils because it can be very confusing reading uh, a lot of fish oils will advertise that they have 1,000 milligrams of fish oil which they might have but maybe only 10% of that is actually the omega-3 so read the label carefully or go into your health shop and that would definitely be a, a good start for people with lupus or any other autoimmune disorder. But there's lots of other lovely natural anti-inflammatories like turmeric, boswellia. Um, serapeptase is another one that's very nice for people with lupus. Um, frankincense is a wonderful one. That's the boswellia. That can work really, really well. And probiotics, if there's problems with the gut as well, can work well as natural anti-inflammatories. So as you can see, it's a complex program. Mm. people with lupus should not be going in the sunshine.
3: Should not
8: should not go in the sunshine. So they will definitely need to take a vitamin D. One of the problems with lupus is that you can become very photosensitive. So uh, staying out of the sunshine is generally the most common advice. So make sure you're taking a minimum of a thousand IUs of vitamin D every day.
3: Okay, could you please ask Annalise, would she have any good remedies for long-term constipation in a woman in her mid-40s? I'm drinking plenty of water, but I'm feeling perimenopausal. I'm wondering, could it be hormone-related?
8: Absolutely, and that's very common, Patricia. A lot of women would notice coming up to their periods that they would get a bit sluggish um, and caught up. So a natural remedy, I'm a big fan of the aloe vera. Um, it's very gentle. Psyllium husk is another one as well. These, both of these are very high in what's called soluble fibre. So if you are inclined to get constipated instead of contributing to kind of the impaction, it can help ease the passage of of, uh, of a stool. Um, the psyllium husk you want to take about a tablespoon of that and it's best added onto a breakfast cereal in the morning there is a nice supplement by um, a company called alopura and it's called um, it used to be called colax c-o-l-a-x but i think it's been changed now to aloe vera complex and it's a combination of magnesium aloe vera prunes and i think there is a possibly uh, some vitamin B in there as well, I think. And that's a very, very gentle one that you can take before you go to bed at night. But generally, Patricia, if it's a long-term constipation issue, if you're eating plenty fiber, drinking water and getting exercise, it's actually possibly something that you're eating that you're intolerant to. Uh, Because when people think of IBS, they often think of running to the loo. But actually, I find IBS constipation is a lot more common so take a look at your diet and see if food's at the culprit.
2: Okay,
3: hi. Mary bless her heart is suffering from an inflamed sciatica nerve. So is on pain relief from her doctor but is, wondering, is there anything else she could be taking to relieve it?
8: Unfortunately no, I'm afraid there's nothing really that you can take. Sciatica is where the nerve becomes trapped, trapped and it's excruciating so the really only thing that can help with that is untrapping the nerve. Now you could take a natural anti-inflammatory like turmeric but to be honest with you it's I mean it's it's like a needle in a haystack approach really because it's it's as an anti-inflammatory it will help in the long term but it's certainly not going to do anything for short term pain and it won't do anything for the trapped nerve now some people find that going to a chiropractor or an acupuncturist can help hugely a chiropractor can help realign the spine and possibly help on, with the nerve um, Shiatsu massage is also a wonderful way of maybe trying to free up that nerve and, and um you need to be very careful, though, because make sure you're finding somebody well-qualified because when it's something like sciatica, if somebody isn't qualified to deal with that, Patricia, the damage can actually be
3: worse yeah, than, than be any very you get. Yeah, be very careful. Heart goes out to you, though, because it's anything to do with the back. It's just so painful. Oh, and uh, not sleep or anything. Yeah, terrible. awful, awful. Could you please ask, Annalise, how long do you need to take Plantago before you start seeing results?
8: Very quickly, really, Patricia. So if you're not seeing results after the first bottle, it's probably not going to work for you. So most people would take Plantago for uh, mucus in the chest, and I had a lovely customer in this morning who, whose husband tried it and found that it was great, was delighted with it. it he said it definitely helped um, free up the mucus so that you can shift it easier. So if that's not happening for you after the first bottle, it's not going to work. Uh, something else you might like to try is ivy and thyme. That can work as a drier upper of mucus, and again, I'm always a big fan of the Dr. Dealish D- 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 Clare's mucotone. That's a combination of a few different um, herbs that help dry up and shift mucus. Some people find as well that carrageen is great to shift kind of deep trap mucus. So you can buy carrageen in a health shop and you have to brew it up and make a kind of a, a drink out of it. it. I can't tell you it's pleasant, but it definitely <laughs> works.
3: <laughs> That's good for you. It's never pleasant, Annalise. OK, hi Patricia. What about, uh, could you ask what about Centrum tablets? They contain 10 UG in vitamin D. Are they effective? Yes,
8: if it's vitamin D2, um, you would definitely want to take vitamin D2 because that's the active form. Vitamin D1 we need to convert. Um, and if you're not efficient at the conversion, you're not going to be getting enough. Um, Centrum, listen, I mean, it's a multivitamin, um, cheap and cheerful. You, I think most vitamins do have the vitamin D, um, D3 D in there. Sorry, what was I saying, D2? It's D3 that you want to be taking. Um, so I would imagine that that has that and 10 is plenty. That will give you your RDA of 800 IUs, which is sufficient.
3: Okay. Hi, um, Annalise. I would love to hear your advice on vertigo. I suffered my first bout about a week ago. I'm um, just about recovering. It was a horrible dose. Any tips on avoiding it or coping with it when I have it?
8: So vertigo is generally as a result of inflammation of the ear canals, Patricia. So we've got three little canals that interlink, and it's the um, they are very responsible for our balance. So if there's inflammation around that, it can affect your feeling of balance. So you feel nauseous. You're like it's like your seasick all the time. It's a horrible feeling, and you feel dizzy. You might feel like you're about to fall. There was a supplement that, unfortunately, is now discontinued. That I had great success with people who had vertigo, and it was the Nature's Plus age-loss hearing support supplement. So there was a combination of anti-inflammatory herbs and vitamins and minerals and probiotics in there that were specifically designed for the inner ear. And a lot of people experienced very good success with that. Now, I've managed to get 10 of them before they go out, you know, before they go off um, as a product. They won't be available anymore. So if you ask your local health shop, if they don't have it, they might be able to order the last few, or certainly somebody can give me a ring here and I'm happy to post it out. But that's the only thing I know really that has been effective for vertigo.
3: Okay. Um, any recommendations for acid reflux?
8: So, the best thing for acid reflux is slippery amp to help deal with the symptoms of acid reflux. So you can buy it as a powder or as a capsule. If you take the powder, you just need to take a teaspoon, flat teaspoon in a little bit of water before you eat. And it coats the whole esophagus and stomach with a lovely thick mucousy layer that protects it and heals it as well, which is very important. Uh, The other thing that I can, uh, that I find can work as well, Patricia, is the zinc carnison. It uh, is just a zinc, particular type of zinc tablet with an amino acid and it's very good for the mucus producing cells, for the health of those, so they can produce a nice thick layer of mucus themselves. But it also can help up tighten the little sphincter muscle at the top of the stomach so that you don't get that leaking up. Um, and they would be probably the combination of those and you should definitely start noticing a difference after a month
3: Okay, alright we'll leave it there Annalise listen, have a great week and we'll talk Thank to you next Monday drink. Thanks for joining us that is Annalise Dressel of the Health Hub Times Square in uh, Ballancolic uh, Now just to wrap up with some of your texts and calls coming in or oh, before that just to mention that um, L&A Hair Salon they're a hair salon in Castletown Roach they want me to point out that they have not increased the cost of their cut colour and blow dry by €50. They have not increased. That's L and A there a uh, hairdressing salon in uh, Castletown Roach. Jur, this is on the wearing of masks. Says, I can't wear a mask, and I won't be wearing one uh, either. I won't, says Jur, be carrying a letter uh, saying why I can't wear a mask. I think if you went out looking for the virus, it would be hard to find it. Sure wasn't there only ten cases yesterday. I just wash my hands and stop touching. If everyone just washes their hands, stop touching their face, uh, everyone will be fine. It'll be interesting, Jur, how you're going to get on when you go into shops when the penalties come in and they're going to bring penalties in uh, saying to people that you must wear a mask when out uh, shopping. Let us know how you get on. Uh, If you point blank refuse to actually wear a mask. Leem says this is on holidays. Is any holiday really worth risking giving the virus to a family member? That family member could go on to uh, die. How would you have that on your conscience? And thank you too when I mentioned that little uh, springer or, or Spaniel that's in currently in with a member of the Chicona in Mallow Cocker Spaniel who was stolen a couple of people were on to say that Virgin Media today on one of their chat shows this morning had an 85 year old man who was on who had lost a dog and they were wondering could it be one and the same dog so we've checked it out but that gentleman who was on Virgin Media this morning it's a different dog his was a Springer Spaniel this I've seen the picture of this the dog we're talking about that's in Mallow is a little Cocker Spaniel it's a completely different uh, dog but thank you to people who are trying to do their best to see if we can get this dog at home Mary McCroom has only been out shopping three or four times in the last four months she's saying is it safe to go out she's in her mid 60s she'd love to go out more well I think we're all told we can go out and about Mary but you need to be careful you need to do the social distancing if you're going into your shops you need to start wearing your masks Uh, and just be very careful be very mindful where you are the cough etiquette all comes into it the washing of the hands all uh, come Come into it, but there's a lot of people. You're not on your own. A lot of people are very nervous about going going out and about. But as Doctor Nick is saying this morning, we have to learn to live with this virus because it certainly is going to be around until we get a vaccine, and that's going to be quite uh, some time. And Lawrence in Ballandangan was in mass on Sunday. The priest um, was not wearing a face. He wasn't. The priest wasn't wearing a face mask when giving out communion. Uh, Lawrence actually didn't go up and receive communion because it made him nervous he's wondering should churches stop giving out communion at all and what's happening you know, and I don't, don't know where Lawrence went to mass but obviously some priests are wearing face coverings and others are not is it putting people off wearing is it putting people off going to communion? Is what Lawrence wants to know. Uh, 1850 333 That's where we park it for today. My thanks to Bernie and to Sadie for taking your calls. Uh, we'll be back on air tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. So until tomorrow at 10th. I'm Patricia Messenger. Stay safe.
2: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.